Hello, this is Max Bear. I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zimrak. This is episode 268 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, we've had two weeks in a row of legends. Now we have, from a legendary TV show, the Beverly Hillbillies, Max Bear Jr. is going to be joining us. He, of course, was Jethro in the Beverly Hillbillies, and he's got a lot to talk about. we got a lot of questions for him, and it's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. I'm sure we're going to find out a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, we just didn't know, and it's coming up, so stick around for that. And I want to remind you that uh, we've got a lot of things coming our way here at On Screen and Beyond, so be sure to tell a friend, and also be sure to check out onscreenandbeyond.com. You can find uh, all our interviews from the past, over 268 of them, and of course you can also find uh, DVD reviews, movie reviews, and we've also got a lot of different stuff there, so be sure to check it out and tell a friend. I'm sure there is somebody that they would love to hear talk about their career and it's at onscreenandbeyond.com so get ready for that and uh what do you say we just get right into this it's time for remake madness here at on screen and beyond please hang up and try again remake madness well a remake of what many people call the worst film ever made is in the works ed wood made the original plan nine from outer space and now someone is going to remake it the question is will they remake it to be the classic horrible movie that was made or are they going to turn around and try to make it into a real movie uh time will tell we'll let you know what goes on with that and the 2009 oscar nominated french film a prophet is going to be remade and we'll see what they do with that and warner brothers is heading out to bring archie betty and veronica along with jughead to the big screen with a uh, remake to the big screen of the archie comics movie So we'll see what they can do with that one. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we take a peek at what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies. Well, Oscar winner Jeff Bridges lends his voice to a film called The Little Prince. And it's about a pilot who crashes on a desert and uh, meets a boy who says he comes from an asteroid. And, of course, it talks about their relationship and everything else. Jennifer Lawrence is producing and will star in The Rules of Inheritance. And she plays a girl who learns that her parents, both of them, have cancer. And she embarks on a new life with booze and boys. And Anna Kendrick is starring in a film called Happy Christmas. And it's set for release in 2014. That is it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we'll take a peek at what's coming away as far as sequels as we head down to Sequel City right here on On Screen and Beyond. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sequel City, well, the screenwriter of The Green Lantern is going to be having the honors with the sequel prequel of Blade Runner. And look for Nicolas Cage, Jackie Chan, and Wesley Snipes because they're all in talks to appear in the next Expendables 3. And Universal is working on Fast and Furious 8 with no end in sight, I guess. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, July 9th looks to be a good date for a couple of releases. On July 9th, Bonanza, the official sixth season, rides onto DVD. And Dynasty, the seventh season, also hits stores on July 9th. And you can look for Arthur C. Clarke, the complete collection, to bring you Bizarre Mysteries, also on July 9th. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen Beyond, we'll take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. Movies on DVD. Well, Oblivion is in theaters currently, but it's going to arrive on Blu-ray and DVD on August 6th. And the digital copy will be coming a little bit earlier than that. It'll arrive on July 23rd. Disney will be releasing Robin Hood and Oliver and Company on Blu-ray. And uh, that's coming your way on August 6th. And on August 6th also, check out Matthew McConaughey and Reese Witherspoon in Mud on DVD and Blu-ray, and the video on demand comes your way on July 16th. That's it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, it's TV time. TV time, well, on June 12th, Paul McCartney will appear on The Colbert Report. The show will be expanded to one hour for the interview, and McCartney will also perform on the show. And Russell Brand's Brand X show has been canceled by FX, and they have picked up a scripted comedy pilot starring Brand. And look for HBO because they say the fourth season of Boardwalk Empire will return on September 8th. That is it for TV time. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, our interview with none other than Jethro Bodine, Max Baer Jr. Now, Max, of course, uh, everybody remembers him for the Beverly Hillbillies playing the role of Jethro Bodine. Uh, but he's done so much more. He's just, you know, behind the scenes. You don't see him. You don't think of him. That's right. That's what happens with a lot of actors that uh, go behind the scenes. But uh, he's done quite a bit, and he's done well for himself. But, of course, we love him from the Beverly Hillbillies. He's going to give us the whole story. It's coming up next, and it's right here on On Screen and Beyond. Max Baer, Jr. On Screen and Beyond, our guest is an actor, director, and producer who is the son of a former heavyweight champion of the world, and he will always be fondly remembered for his role as Jethro Bodine on the Beverly Hillbillies. It's Max Bear Jr. Max, it's such a pleasure to have you here at On Screen and Beyond. I wish I could say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being a smart ass gets you nowhere, right? <laughs> 
Well, it's always fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, the only thing guy says is says, don't be boring. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, Max, that was what Howard Hawks said to me, the famous director that directed Red River yeah, and Red River, yeah. Sergeant York, and he directed, you know, El Dorado and Rio Bravo and everything. And he, he told me, we used to play golf in Palm Springs, and he told me, he says, a director has the right to do anything he wants to do except bore the people. And that's it. He says, that's the only thing. He says, you can't bore them. Right. Yeah. And he says, you never, you never saw a movie that was ever too short, only too long. I mean, he had all these famous lines like that, you know. I mean, he was, he was a great guy. Wow. But anyway, that's where I, that's where I got that from anyway. Hmm. Well, you know, Max, we all remember you for being Jethro. And of, of course, you know, everybody loved that show. But you've actually done so much more, and people don't sometimes realize that. When somebody goes behind the camera, they don't get as known as much for a role like Jethro Bodine. Well, I'm changing my name. I've already tried to change my name to Clint Eastwood, but they wouldn't <laughs> buy it, you know. But it shows you, it shows you what, a, uh, what a good actor can actually do. Sidney Pollack was an actor before he became a director. Yeah. And Sidney Pollack with the way we were, and all the movies oh, yeah. that he did with Redford and out of Africa. You know, he did. He was, he's passed away since, but he's a fabulous director. But you'll find that a lot of uh, in, in in the more recent, I would say, the second half of the of the uh, 20th century, the uh, the best directors came out of being actors. And Clint has proved that he's just beyond. He's even beyond. Anything I believed, we used to, years ago, we used to date roommates. That was 40 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, and I've played a lot of golf with Clint over the years. I haven't seen him recently, but because I live in Lake Tahoe, he lives in Carmel and in, I guess in L.A. and wherever else he lives in Idaho. Right. Yeah. But um, he's working all the time. But uh, but uh, when Clint was doing Rawhide, I was doing the Beverly Hillbillies. We were both on CBS, so we would go back to the affiliates meeting in New York on the plane and and run around, uh, run around New York together, and then we had some restaurants, a couple of restaurants that we used to go to in L.A., uh, the Steak Pit that's now closed, and on Melrose, and a couple of other little joints. But um, he is just a tremendous director, and 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 the thing about it is, is that he has a great eye for you know what he likes, and he doesn't try to try to worry about uh, what anybody else likes. Right. Yeah, so, and then people know. enjoy it. Right, and he became such a success uh, that uh, now he could. His next picture is going to be the Yellow Pages of L.A., San Fernando Valley Yellow Pages. He could be, and he could probably shoot anything he wants. Right? Oh now. yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, he just he well, he, in the end, the actors he calls them up, and they he, they just do it. I mean, they love to work with him. Oh yeah, who, who he's a pleasure know? to work with. He doesn't bore you, and like Tim Robbins said in an interview I saw the other night, he says. We were supposed to shoot nine weeks. We shot seven, and he was upset because he was having so much fun. He'd like to have gone another two weeks, <laughs> you know. So when you got actors that are that are like that, I mean, they must they love what they're doing. Oh yeah. Jeez. And he said that, and uh, uh, I wish that I had traveled that road, but for whatever reason, I I didn't. And uh, he's he's become a fine actor, and he was always a good director. His first picture that he did i think was um was uh, um uh the one that he did with uh, where don siegel was actually the bartender was play misty for me ah yes that was that was the first one up in carmel with um 
I can't remember. She Donna Mills. She lived down the street from me in Benedict Canyon, and uh, um, Don Siegel was his mentor. Don and Sergio, Sergio Leone for the things that he did over the Spaghetti Westerns, and then also right. Don Siegel for doing all of, uh, mostly uh, Clint's early films. Right. Yeah. Now, what about you when you were growing up? When you when you were just a young kid? Of course, your father was a world heavyweight champion boxer. Right. Um, right. Was it tough growing up being the son of a champion boxer like that? Well, I used to get picked on uh, as being, uh, you know, you're Max Bear's son. Well, you don't look so tough. Uh, and I wasn't. And uh, people used to take advantage of me. But you were a big guy. And, uh, well, I was skinny. You know, I was tall. Yeah. I, I, I actually grew seven inches in one year. Wow. And I, but I, and everybody thought I could play basketball. But I was a spastic in basketball. I mean, I, you know, you talk about somebody that didn't have any coordination i could play baseball i could play i could hit i could catch i could i could throw um i could hit with power i mean i could do those things but i i was uh I was not the greatest fielder in the world i wasn't fast um and then in basketball i just couldn't even you know i was lucky if i hit the rim uh, and uh couldn't jump and football i had good hands I had good hands for basketball, for football, not for baseball. For some reason, I didn't like the hops or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then I could play golf. But uh, uh, people used to pick on me. And then I became when I first realized that I could I could punch a little bit, and I started becoming a little bit of a bully. Uh-huh. You know, and somebody would say, "Well, you're Max Bearson," and I'd hit him first. <laughs> Because I would think they were going to say, you don't look so tough, when the guy's really going to say, hey, your dad was a pretty good fighter. Right. And I'd get in trouble because I do did do the wrong thing. So I was, I, you know, I couldn't win for losing. Right. You know, it was one of those things. Yeah. And then I tried to box in the in the, in in college, and I had a few fight, a couple of fights there, and I lost my first one in, uh, in at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny. I lost to a guy named Trev Grimm. Uh, who was a football player uh, from Stanford, and uh, he broke my nose at the end of the first round, and they couldn't stop the bleeding, and they stopped the fight. And um, uh, he's now in uh, in rent control in Santa Monica. He's an attorney. He's had a couple of heart attacks, and he was uh, uh, he weighed 185 then or 89, 190 pounds, and now he weighs about 100 pounds more. I found out that he was there through one of my attorneys, who's a friend of his, who's a, he's an attorney. And I said, I called him, I got his number, called him up. I said, I'm looking for a God blessed rematch. I said, I'm going to kick your butt. And I said, he says, well, you should, Bear. He says, I've had two heart attacks. I said, okay, because uh, I'm in good shape. I'm in, I've been, I'm in real good shape. I can still get into the Levi's I got into on the series. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm six four. I weigh two ten. You know, I just, I've I've kept myself, I I work out, as a matter of fact, today is my workout day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I ride a bicycle for anywhere from, uh, uh, I do, I ride it at about 15 miles an hour to five resistance, and uh, I ride it for anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, so I do anywhere from 15 to 22 miles, Mm -hmm. and uh, then I lift weights, I lift 60,000 pounds an hour. Uh, That's only because of repetitions, I do a lot of repetitions. Yeah. And then I uh, I work out uh, doing bicep and tricep exercises. And then on Wednesday, I uh, ride the bicycle and then I do leg exercises. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've 
uh, I'll do. I'll put 600 pounds on the sled and do 30 reps, and I'll do five sets of 30. You know, things like that. I never knew I had strong quadriceps, but I do. Huh. Wow. You know, so anyway, it's just you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Now, with your father being a boxer, of course, he was also an actor uh, yep. once in a while. Now, did that influence you to go into acting, or what caused you no. to want to go into acting? Um, money and girls. <laughs> same thing that had, same thing that got my dad to go into boxing. I hear that a lot, people saying girls. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, what the heck, you know. Uh, you know, if you're on a CBA, if you're on a show that, that, that gets canceled, you have groupies. Right. I mean, they're so nuts. I mean, you know, they follow you around like ants, you know. Jeez. Like you're a sweet roll and they're ants. You know, I mean, laying in the counter for three days or something, you know, Jeez. at a Seven Eleven. It's just the way, you know, it's just the way it is. You know, it's just it, athletes and, and singers and right. stars of any type uh, attract uh, the opposite sex. Yeah. And nowadays it attracts the same sex, as best <laughs> of I know. You know, you know, I saw Michael Douglas and Matt Damon in Liberace the other night, and I was, I looked at the two of them, and I went, I said, I know they don't need to work. They're, they're, they've got so much money. Right. Yeah. But, but uh, the image of, 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 of Matt Damon walking naked with his ass hanging out uh, over and sitting on Michael Douglas's lap was a little more than I could handle. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is, you know, both guys are straight. And so it was, I would imagine that Jiminy's. Right. Uh, it, it had to be, it had to be pretty difficult. I mean, I, I mean, you really have to swallow your ego pretty fast, you know, it's for your insecurity. Yeah. If you're going to be wandering around there, you know, with a dangling participle in front of the crew and everything and, uh, yeah, you know, and I know they're not. I know neither one of them have been in adult movies, so therefore, what can I tell you? Right. You know, they're not. Uh, they're not for. They're 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 not auditioning for anything. I can tell you that. I mean, they both did a fine job, but it was just I. I would have said, my gosh. I mean, that would have been. I mean, I played my twin sister on the Beverly Hillbillies, right. but I played her all made up. It's like Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. Right. Yeah. You know, you get made up to look like, or like, I was watching a movie the other night, Tango and Cash, with uh, mm -hmm. Sylvester Stallone and uh, Kurt Russell, and right. Kurt was dressed like a woman in the thing, and yeah. I think that was a movie anyway, and uh, yeah, yeah, indeed, and uh, you know, that's a little different story, you know, you're hanging up like like your butch or something like that. But these guys were actually, I mean, yeah. whoa, boy, it was, uh, I mean, Michael had a lisp like you couldn't believe. I mean, it was, yeah. it was pretty funny. The glamour of Hollywood. <laughs> oh God. I mean, Michael had the more difficult, I mean, I don't know. I, either both parts were tough to play. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure both parts were. were tough to play. I mean, Michael camped it and then Matt played it pretty straight. Now, you know, so did you ever meet Liberace? Yeah, I met, I met him up here. He had a house up here at Lake Tahoe. Ah, okay. I met him late in life, and he was late in life. He he used to go in this hardware store that we went to on Kingsbury Grade. He lived up above there. His, his house is still there. I don't know who owns it now. That um, because he used to play it. He used to like it up here, and he used to play it at uh, I don't know. He used to play in Reno at Harris, I guess, and at Reno. Yeah. And he would play there. Uh, both at State Line and in Reno, and uh, 
that he had this house and he would he would he'd like to go there. So I saw him here live. Of course, when he was around town here, he wasn't all dolled up. Right? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, he had his hair on and all that stuff, but he wasn't all dolled up in uh, in in all this the glitter because up here it, it doesn't matter at all. You yeah. know. Yeah, the show. Everybody up here wears Levi's and cowboy boots and. You know, it's like you ain't gonna. You're not gonna be wearing glitter to the rodeo. You know? <laughs> I mean, not that kind of glitter. You know, you right. wear the, the spangled shirts, but uh, you're not wearing the glitter. Yeah. Now you met a lot of people when you were back in the '60s, but uh, I understand that you were a really good friend with Elvis. I wasn't a good friend of Elvis. I was a friend of Elvis. Ah, okay. Um, uh, Donna Douglas became a better friend. Uh, she was in several movie, couple movies. With well, him. no, she was in one movie oh, with him, Frankie and Johnny, oh, yeah. and then uh, she was. They had some kind of a relationship which she won't even talk about because mm-hmm. it was very painful, I guess. Uh, they played jokes on her stuff, stuff, but she was a very straight laced chick. You know, she was never. She was never a runaround. You know? Although she was, a, she, she was a jock. She always she was a tomboy as a kid, and she. She married a, a football player from school, and she had a child by him. And Danny is his name. He's a very nice guy, kid, young man. He's got she's got some grandkids, and um, but she went with Del Schaffner, a flanker for the Rams. She went with Bob Pettit from the from the Knicks in New York. She went with Doug Sanders, who's a golfer. And she went with Sandy Koufax, who's a baseball player, as you know. So she was, I said, what happened to hockey, Donna? And she laughed. <laughs> she says, I don't like the cold weather. <laughs> said, okay. But anyway, she was always going out with um, with uh, athletes, although she married a film editor. Uh, her husband that she married first was a football player from high school. And then she married a film editor from the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, but those are the only two times she's been married, to the best of my knowledge. And yeah. Yeah. Elvis was her only other, uh, the love of her life, I guess. That uh, she had some bad relationship when with that, and that was, uh, and that was it. So I don't even really talk about it with her. Yeah. You know, no bad. She doesn't. Then she tells anybody that if they're going to interview her, she doesn't talk about that. That's yeah. a private part of her life that she doesn't want to remember, I guess, or doesn't want to discuss anyway. Is that so? That's how you met Elvis through her? No, I no, I met Elvis playing uh, touch football, flag football in 1960, and uh, he he and Joe Esposito, his manager and a road manager, and then Sonny and Lamar and and uh, Red West and and then Sonny uh, West. Uh, they all of them we were playing at Beverly Glen Park, which is right at uh, at Sunset Boulevard in Beverly Glen, and just off off Sunset about a block. It was a little park, and we used to play there. And just to just to pick, choose them up football game. Yep. I don't even know how it got together, but uh, I I when I first met him, I hated him. I didn't like him at all. Really? Uh, yeah. I you know well hey you know, what's there to like about him? He's got he's good looking. He's got money. He's got talent. He's got all the girls. He's famous. He's rich. <laughs> and I'm nothing. So I wanted to be on the other team opposite him. And I just wanted to knock him on his butt as many times as I could. Made me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and he couldn't. He was not. He was not an athlete. People think that he's an athlete, just like they think that Clint Eastwood is an athlete. Mm-hmm. Clint is not an athlete. He's strong. He lifts weights and stuff. Yeah. But he's not football, basketball, baseball, golf. He has trouble with with sports for coordination. Uh-huh. 
he just he just has. You know, some people have. It's so like with me with basketball. I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, some people are talented in one area or another. He plays piano, and he's a very good pianist, and he's a musician. You know, I play the radio. You know, everybody <laughs> has something different that they can do. I know how to turn that thing on and off. Right. <laughs> and that's it. I'm good at that. But, uh but Elvis was not, and so one day it rained the night before, and we were playing, and it was muddy, and and I tried to clip him as Red West was doing an end run, and I Elvis was blocking. I tried to clip him. I missed. I went face down in the mud, and I turned over, and he had his hand out there, and he says, "Hey, you finally missed, son." And uh, he never he never cried, Uncle. He never tried to play, you know, prima donna or anything. Not on the football field. Wow. He may have done it. He may have done it when he was someplace else or doing other things. Or, and he would invite all the people up to his house all the time. And I never went. And then after this uh, incident, I thought, well, hell, he may no, must not be such a bad guy. And he invited me up, and I went up to his house on Perugia Way. And um, I we played after that many games. And he just he was he was an all he was a right guy. And then one day, Frankie Avalon and I were out at. Uh, Lakeside Country Club and playing golf, and he was doing a pickup scenes for Blue Hawaii. And there's a picture in the book of me sitting in a golf cart with my feet up and Frankie Avalon there, and then Elvis leaning on me or leaning on the cart. And uh, everybody, they write the story. Oh, look at these good friends and everything else. We just happened to run into him on the golf course, and while they were reshooting a shot or relighting a shot, he came over and we were t- t- talking. We were playing golf because he wasn't a golfer, but we were playing golf, and he was just there, and, and we were talking. He was talking to Frankie and myself, and and that was about it. But I mean, I I liked Elvis, and then one time we were down in doing some show down in Mississippi, someplace, and he went backstage, and and I, I guess he met. He was talking to Donna and Irene or something there. I don't know, but those you know, just a few times. I did not spend it. I did, I never met Priscilla with him. I met Priscilla after he passed away at some luncheon, mm-hmm. and I didn't get along with her very well. Uh, excuse me, um, I never knew much about her. I just didn't, you know, she, she was she was um, she was uh, she walked around like Mrs. Elvis Presley, you know. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah, that type of attitude, you know. Uh, and, but most of the people, I don't have any real good friends in Hollywood. Never, never really did have. I never socialized with them. I never went to the places. I've never been to the Academy Awards in my life. Um, I just never was much of... Uh, I mean, I ran around with a lot of people there, but not not many actors. Mm-hmm. I played, like, baseball on the weekends. I played with Nicholson and, and Bruce Dern and, uh, oh, God, all the... I mean, every Stu Whitman and, and Jerry Lewis and, and Jim Garner and Woody Allen and... Played a lot of you know sport things. You know, on weekends you get together, and you know, John Cassavetes and Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara. You know, we'd get together and play. You know, just like choose up games and right. stuff like that on the weekends. And um, we did we did a lot of that. But as far as socializing with them, I didn't socialize with Peter. Didn't socialize with Cassavetes. You know, we'd go to for pizza and beer after the game or something like that. You know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, I was never. I, you know, myself and my wife, or myself and my girlfriend, we never went out together. With, uh, with, I never socialized like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny to hear you talk about all these people, and it's hard to imagine some some of those people playing, you know, football with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you the one thing that was very that was very peculiar is that you never think 
that Woody Allen would be a good athlete. But Woody Allen is a very good athlete. Really? Woody, Woody Allen can play baseball. He's just very athletic physically. Hmm. He's coordinated. Yeah, yeah. Where Clint Eastwood is not coordinated in that sense. Now, see, in most cases you would think Now, Jim Garner is coordinated yeah. in baseball and softball. But he was his brother was really talented. His brother could play golf, baseball, football. He could play anything. Jack Garner could play anything. Wow, just a fabulous athlete. And and Jimmy was the guy that hung around the drive-in with the white buck shoes and the khakis and and, uh, and chased the girls. So they chased him. <laughs> you know, it was uh, there's certain there's certain people like that. And Elvis was the same way. You'd never think that Jack Nicholson was a good athlete. Right. Yeah. Jack could play. Jack could play third base. He played third base in softball league, and he was a good, he, pretty good hitter. And he was a good third baseman. Had good hands. Hmm. I never saw Jack play basketball because I know he loves basketball, but I don't know if he goes. And Jack is a Jack's a terrific guy. I mean, I don't run around with him, but if I call him on the phone, he'll pick up the phone or call me back. Yeah. Now and I haven't. I don't see him in years. Hmm. Yeah. There are some guys that are like that. Yeah. And Jack's an all right guy. Always has been. In my book, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, I bet him one time. I bet him. I think I bet him on on some presidential race. I think I bet him on the Carter race or something, and I lost a thousand dollars to him. <laughs> I'd bet him when he was driving down the street with Bob Town in his car. He had a he had a six hundred uh, Mercedes, and he was driving down, and I was driving down parallel uh, to him on and uh, yelling at him. And uh, we were yelling politics, and because he, he's liberal, and I said something. He bought you a thousand dollars in the night. I didn't see him for maybe a year or so. And he says, "Where's my thousand dollars?" I said, "Jesus, I forgot all about it." He says, "That funny." He says, "You cheap son of a bitch." And I sent him, I sent him the check for a thousand. <laughs> he didn't. I mean, it was it was really big. He, he had he had me, man. He I didn't. I well I. You know, you go to, you just talk, and I wasn't, you know, I, I actually bet him. I bet him, and I lost. Yeah. But Jack is a, Jack's a good person. Huh. He's, a, he's, a, he's a good guy. Yeah. Now, before the Beverly Hillbillies, you were on a lot of different TV shows, like Maverick and Surfside 6. And well, I was, on, I was under contract to, to Warner Brothers, wow, and, okay. and as a contract player, they had you, you know, you were getting, I was getting 250 a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1960, and so what happened was they put you in every show they could put you in, and they had all their shows on ABC. Uh, so Warner's had a deal with ABC in every show they made. It was just like kind of like when Aaron Spelling had the deal with ABC, and he had all his shows on ABC. Yeah. Similar similar situation 20 years later, mm-hmm. but that was or yeah about 20 years later. That was about the that was about the situation. And so I did Surfside Six, Hawaiian Eye. First one I ever did was Hawaiian Eye. With, with no, the first one I ever did was I had a walk on, like a little walk on part on uh, Surfside Six with Sherry Jackson and uh, Van Williams. Yes. Uh, on the sound stage at Warner's, and then I, uh, the first real part I had was uh, uh, with Bob Conrad on um, Hawaiian Eye. Yes. And then I did uh, Bronco Cheyenne, Sugarfoot, Maverick, Roaring Twenties. Uh, 77 Sunset Strip, uh, and multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I was only under contract there for a year. So they got they got their work out of me right, because uh, scale was, I think scale was about 250 a day. Hmm. So I was working for a week, but they were pretty close to what they were paying a day. So they got their work out of me anyway. And I learned a little bit about 
the film and filmmaking and where to stand and how the camera goes and no, what you do here that. and where the sound of where the sound is and how you got to do it and make it look real or normal and so you weren't all just looking nonsense. at the acting side you were looking at directing and also well right? I know I just wanted to know how everything worked I was just curious yeah. you know I wanted to know how everything worked and how everything was put together mm-hmm. you know and I'd go in the editing rooms and I'd talk to the guys when I wasn't working which was most of the time and I'd watch them edit and watch them do things fiddle around with things and and see how they did it and uh not all the technical stuff that they have today because they used to they used to edit on movieolas in those days and then they went to chems and now I they do digital and uh people were the directors are actually looking at a monitor when they're directing the scene instead of looking at the scene under the camera right like the old school did, you know. Yeah, yeah, cutting the film. And uh, so, and most, and and the thing about it is, is that the uh, the monitor shows exactly what the lens sees, whereas before, uh, you know, in the old days when you'd sit under the camera or near the camera, uh, you'd see what you'd see, but you'd have to ask the, the 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 cinematographer, well, was that okay? Was there anything there in the shot or something, you know? Yeah. Whereas what you're seeing is you're seeing actually what the camera sees. So if there's a a mic shadow, or a or a or a light goes bad, or something happens in the scene. You see actually what's on that screen, and you can say you want another take, or you don't want it, or that's okay, or I'll, I don't need any more, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it, but in essence, uh, like uh, um, I'm I, I guess because Clint's older, he's he's eighty two, and I'm seventy five. Uh, is that uh, a Clint doesn't make uh, movies with a tremendous amount of special effects. Mm-hmm. He's into storytelling. Right. He likes stories. He thinks movies are movies. They tell a story. Yep. Uh, Spielberg and Lucas and a lot of these other people are into all of the new technology that makes for spectacular films in a theater. But a lot of those movies, they don't play on television. They just don't play. I mean, you guys see movies on television all the time. They don't work. Yep. Because they're made for the big screen. Yeah. And they don't. They're not. They're not intimate. You know, they're not really very intimate. So when they're on TV, they just they don't. You know, people don't want it. Not as much. They're not as entertaining. Yeah. You know, and you see like uh, what's that? What's that one that with all the blue characters? It was all blue. Avatar. Oh, Avatar. Yeah, yeah. You see that on a big screen, it's it's astounding. You yeah. Know? But you see it on a on a on a small screen TV, and it it doesn't really get it. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't work the same. Right. It does. It's not spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just not. As far as the Beverly Hillbillies, how did you get the part of Jethro? Was it an open cattle call or? Yes, it was a cattle call. I was sitting at Schwab's drugstore with a guy named Bob Fallon, who was married to Marie Wilson who was my friend Irma. She played my friend Irma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Rod Steiger and Clegg Hoyt. Clegg Hoyt was a, Rod, was a character actor and was Rod Steiger's roommate in New York uh, when they were both actors, and, uh, stage actors in New York. And uh, a guy named Ross Martin came in who had, who had, who had done a, a television series called Mr. Lucky. With John Vivian about the gambling ship out in the, yep. off the coast of, of yep. Santa Monica, and uh, later on he played Artemis Gordon on the Wild Wild, Wild West. West. But yes, this was before. This was five years before that, 
anyway, he came in and we were talking. He was sitting there talking at Schwab's on the corner of Laurel and Sunset, and and he said, you know, hey Max, why don't you go down there? They got a they got a cattle call or an open an open call. He called it, I guess, uh, uh, down at General Service Studios for this little Abner type character. And I said, yes, yeah. so I had a Triumph 500, and I got on that, went down there, and waited, and went in there, and they said it was a Southern accent, and blah blah blah. And so I pretended that I was um, that I was horse. So I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I said I can do it. I said, but I, you know, come back Monday. I said I'll be okay, I guess. And they liked me well enough from the look that I fit look-wise. Mm-hmm. And so I went and got a Jonathan Winters album uh, and uh, got a uh, Andy Griffith album. They call it Football, or it's called Football. And I just kind of listened to them, and I have a pretty good ear. And I was, I can't, if somebody says do a German accent, I can't do a German accent. But if I hear somebody do it, I can do it. Right, yeah. I hear somebody do an Italian, I can do that. But I have to hear it. And when it goes through my ear, into my head, for some reason, I can do it. And uh, as a matter of fact, that's the way I'd learn my lines, by hearing them. Mm-hmm. I couldn't read them off a page. I would never learn them very well. So uh, so uh, by memorizing, by looking at lines, it was difficult. Hearing them was easy. Wow. So it was just a different way. It's just, just another different sense that you have yep. greater repetitive ability with your senses. And and I have and I and I remember I I can remember it easier by hearing it than by seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least lines, not 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 pictures, but lines. Yep. Yep. Because you can't hear a picture. Right. <laughs> no, I mean that's it. But you know, very good. I'm very good at remembering people's faces and things like that, but not names. But if I if I hear something, if I hear my lines, I can you know. So when I rehearse, I would hear my lines. But anyway, what. Uh, what I did, I went in there, and then over the weekend, I got got enough of an accent, went back, I did a reading, they gave me a screen test, and they didn't want me, they wanted somebody else, and Irene Ryan took me over to a place called The Shack, and uh, which is around the corner from the studio, General Service Studio, and I had three double beef eater martinis, and I was bombed, because <laughs> I, I don't drink very well. So I come back, and they, I knew they didn't want me. They wanted this other kid, and they tested him three times, and about the time it four times, and when it came time to me, it was way late in the afternoon. It was after lunch, and I was still bombed. And they said, now, Max, we're running out of time and everything, and don't worry about it. Just, you know, I was giving the brush up, which I knew. And it was, just go in there. If you flub the line, just keep on going. You know, just do the scene. And it was with Buddy Epson walking into the cabin. And uh, then we had a little scene in there. Don't even remember the scene. But what happened is that uh, I walked into the uh, into the through the door and I butt my shoulder. I hit the door jam accidentally because I was wobbling, and I hit the door jam and I turned to the door jam and said, "Excuse me," and uh, I had this big stupid grin on my face when I said it, and I just continued with the scene. Well, when when it was over, everybody was laughing. So then, then Paul Henning, who was the writer, he was look, watching all these little, all these screen tests in there, and everybody's going through one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, kick, one, two, three, kick, the one, two, three, kick, and then he sees this idiot walk into the door jam and start talking to the door jam, and he <laughs> fell on the floor. So that's the guy. So did they have to liquor you up every time you did a scene? <laughs> well, well, no, I figured I I could learn how to. They play drunk, but I did. But I wasn't doing. It. I was just doing it then because I they didn't want to give me a second take. Right. Yeah. You know. So that's what I was doing. Yeah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Dave, no, no. when you first read the script and you, you got the part, you read the script, did you think that that type of show, which was really hadn't been done before, would, would be a success? Well, actually, the original, the script, was written by Paul Henning as a cartoon. Oh, really? Like a first yeah, and then Yeah, and then and Jim Aubrey, who was at the head of the network at that time, said, I like the idea of the show, but can you put real people in there? And so he got Buddy Ebsen and signed him and then tested everybody else. Wow. But I never had any idea what would work and what wouldn't work. I had no idea. To me, it was a job. Right, yeah. You know, that was it. Yeah. It was a job, you know. And if you're an actor, you don't want to work. Right. So you work. Yeah. Had you you worked with any of the other cast? No, never. never, Well, Donna and I had asked out on a date and... We went to the Blessed Sacrament Church on Sunday, and that was the only date I ever had with her. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And uh, then we went to uh, Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel and had lunch, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me give you a couple of the names of the people you worked with and, and give us your impression of those people, just your thoughts about them. Uh, Buddy Ebsen, what was he like? Buddy was as much of a regular guy as you could get. Uh, Buddy, and Buddy tried to teach me how to sail. Uh, I didn't learn much about sailing, but I learned a lot about drowning. Um, I got knocked off the boat more than once, and we were sailing, and he was saying, well, you do this and you do that. And then he says, coming about. And I stood up. I was up near the boom, and I stood up and said, what'd you say? (laughs) Bud. And the boom hit me, knocked me in the ocean. I mean, I you know I he's he I I made him laugh all the time because I was so crazy, yeah. you know. I mean, I was I was Peck's bad boy. I mean, I was always I was always pulling pranks and doing stuff on the set and everything. Yeah. Oh, I was a problem child. <laughs> I they they said the cast of the Beverly Hillbillies was uh, Jed, Granny, Ellie Mae, Jethro, and the psychiatrist for Jethro. You know, fifth one, fifth yeah. fifth character. You know, take care of take care of the crazy man. Yeah, uh, goofy son of a bitch. That's that's basically it. I mean, I was I was the one that was uh, a little bit out of touch. So you had fun on the set, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, it was. Hey, look. First of all, it was fun to do. You had some place to go when you got up in the morning, and you made money, and you became famous, and you had the girls chasing you, and. I mean, what's not to like? You got a famous year on a popular show. And what's not to like about it? The only thing I knew was that it was going to brand me as Jethro forever because the, you want a show to be a success. Yeah. Yeah. But if the show is a too much of a success and you're a cartoon character, well, then you carry that cartoon with you. Yeah. Steve McQueen didn't do that in Wanted Dead or Alive. Jimmy Garner didn't do that in Maverick. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it in Rockford Files. There are people that, that 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 came from. I'm not talking about the people that went from from movies to television. I'm right. talking about people that came from television to movies. Yep, yep. And 
if you were playing something straight, like like a Denzel Washington, he was playing on that hospital show, ER or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, no problem in making those conversions over to to uh, to film. But if you play a cartoon character like Adam West as Batman or Bob Gilt, Bob Denver as Gilligan, right? Yeah. Um, that's what you are, and that's what you are for your whole life. It's very hard to get out of it. I mean, even the guy that, I can't remember his name right now, he was on the A-team. Uh, uh, he's had some good parts. Mr. Though. T? No, 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 not Mr. T. Well, Mr. T was obviously, he was that way. He's been that way. He is, he is right. Mr. He T. Is that's Mr. it. <laughs> he plays Mr. T. But then I'm talking about the one, the guy that was like the doctor or the scientist or whatever it was. Tall, slim guy. Not looks George, like uh, looks George. like David Carradine a little bit. What? Not, not George Papard. No, no, no. George was the lead. Yeah, the lead. George was the lead, and this was the guy that looked a little bit like the, uh, a little bit like David Carradine. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to remember his name now. (laughs) No, I'm trying to remember his name. He's a good actor. Yeah. A good actor, done a lot of good things. Mm -hmm. Done a lot of good things, but he never kind of reached where he was off of the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of times that that happens to you. You know, if you play a certain type of role. You get classified as that, and that's what you play. Yeah, and that's too bad. And you don't play anything else. Yeah, it's too bad because I mean, playing that role, obviously, you're you're a good actor because you, you you're making people believe that's you. <laughs> that's that's what I used to say, but uh, if you stop and think about it for a minute, um, I understand why I could not get other roles because the Beverly Hillbillies was so popular. Can you imagine me? Can you imagine, or just fantasize? Can you imagine Jethro as a priest, listening to somebody's confession? Yeah, thinking that he's going to say, "Hey, have you got anything to eat?" Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I mean, uh, in other words, he, he you become so well known as that mm-hmm. that to play a cop, it's hard to believe. Yeah, to play to play anything, it's just hard to believe. Well, it's just because like that's George. in the back of your head. You know, yeah. Jerry Lewis doing a legitimate job is very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. You know, he's a comedian. He's a com- It's very tough for them to do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it was more so when you become when you become that character, yeah. unless you become so huge that 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 people will come there just to see you. You know, like Robin Williams off of Mork. Right. Yes. You know, then finally when he would when he ended up playing, but he but he wasn't popular when he did that when he played a doctor in the show. Mm-hmm. He, Good Morning Vietnam was Mork on Mork on drugs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> really. You know, that was basically it. But if you take a look at the one he did with Bob De Niro, where he was a psychiatrist and everything, movie died mm-hmm. because they didn't want to see him as that. You yeah. know. Yeah, now, as as that as that thing where he played uh, Miss Doubtfire was terrific. Oh yeah, that was a riot. great actor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, more. I mean, uh, uh, Robin is terrific, uh, but y- it took me ten years uh, from seventy one to eighty three to uh, grow another ten years older and do a pilot for a television series. And uh, the people at CBS, they weren't even, they didn't even know who I was. I mean, NBC. I mean, they were they were they looked at me, and the woman there with Brandon Tartikoff, they looked at me and said, 
geez, he's, he's good in that. What uh, I did a pilot called Culpepper yes. uh, with uh, Noah Berry Jr. They were trying to make it like a poor man's Rockford. Mm-hmm. It was me as a cowboy and uh, uh, what's his, uh, Noah Berry Jr., and then I had three daughters. This was 1983 or four, mm-hmm. and um, uh, NBC wanted to pick it up, but uh, it was shot for Universal. But uh, Universal talked them out of it because the, they had a writers' strike, and they didn't have enough of uh, they didn't have enough of Battlestar Galactica or BJ and the Bear. Right. <laughs> they didn't have enough of those shows to syndicate them, so NBC was only going to give them three hours. So. They said, I'll give, finally they argued, and they, okay, we'll give you three hours, put anything you want there. But they had me scheduled on, uh, Culpepper scheduled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because it, it would have gone on the same year that uh, Magnum P.I. went on. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. Whatever year that was. That's all, that's what I remember. Yeah. Because I got the same motorhome that they had, had shipped over to, uh, or shipped back from Hawaii that Tom Selleck had over there when, uh, or was it that, or was it the driver that I had? Or they had the same driver or the same motor coach that Tom used in uh, Magnum P.I. over in uh, Hawaii when they shot. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but, uh, hey, look, it. Uh, you, you, you take the good with the bad. It's like, it's like bad hops, good hops. It's like you hit a golf ball, and sometimes you hit a tree, you're going out of bounds, you hit a tree and come back in a fairway. And that's great. Sometimes you hit a sprinkler head in the fairway and it goes out of bounds. You just, you know, it's the it's the rub of the game, yeah. you know. But it's the rub of, of the green. But speaking of ball, hitting. sometimes it goes in and sometimes it doesn't, and there's there's no telling why you hit the same shot twenty times and it do uh, it wouldn't do that nineteen out of twenty times it would go the, the correct way, but this time it just a bad hop, bad kick, whatever you call it. So you take the good with the bad. You can't worry about it and say, hey. I should have done this. It could have, would have, should have, did. I could have, should have, would have, did. Is not does not take the place of do or done. Yeah, but you hit it big you know? though with with some of your independent films that you made. Like well, Macon yeah, County I did Line. Macon County Line. Actually, Macon County Line, I wrote on the back of a Beverly Hillbilly script. Um, uh, I was living in a one bedroom apartment. I'd got divorced in '71, and I was living in a one bedroom apartment above off the strip. And I went down to Mississippi to film a, an independent film for $25,000. And I needed the money because I was broke, pretty much. I went down there, and after about four or five days, I said, I know this is shit. This, is, this isn't working. This is crap. Yeah. Yeah. I said, so I left. And with no money, well, they didn't take the money. I had no money and just left. Came back to California and said, hey, look, if that guy, those people can write a script and put it together. I should know enough people and uh, to write a script and put it together. So I sat down with Richard Compton, who I was in class with uh, over at Warner Bros. And he had become a director. And we sat down and um, I, did the, I did an outline. I said, how do you do it? He says, well, 100 pages equals a script. 100 minutes. I said, okay. So I wrote a. I wrote a twenty. I wrote a twenty-page outline. I wrote five pages on each of the twenty pages, hmm. and that's what I did. Just broke it down into its simplest form. Yeah, yeah. And then I never wrote a screenplay in my life. I wrote that, and then I still got the original copy. Really? Yeah. And then I wrote on the back of the hill, but yeah, still got it. Anyway, what happened is that I um, I did that, and. Uh, 
then I got my partner or my buddy Roger Cameras, who's been my partner for forty years. Um, he was a golfing buddy. Was a member of Brentwood Country Club. We went out there and and uh, got some people to put up the money. And we put up. I put up. Uh, I put up the last fifteen thousand dollars, I think. And that was it. That's all I had left. Jeez. And uh, borrowed against my residuals from a friend of mine who worked at the bank. And uh, actually, legitimately, they weren't even worth it because they were only worth it if they got played. And nobody knew when they were going to get played. Yeah. I knew they would someday, but I didn't know when. Yeah. And so I borrowed money against that and then put that in there. And we made the picture for about 220000 but it actually was only 110 in cash. Mm-hmm. The rest was all credit. Huh. And if, if we hadn't made if the movie, hadn't gone out and done something, the people that extended us the credit would have lost it. Because yeah. we excuse me. Just because we didn't have anything to pay it with, yeah. so I, it was it was either a uh, it was either a home in Beverly Hills or a paper route in Santa Monica, and I caught the brass ring and ended up with a home in Beverly Hills. It's funny how that works. <laughs> it's very weird, and it was also there was a guy that was a big investor in the movie that backed out of the movie and pulled his money out at the last minute, hmm. and we had to make it good, and he cost himself. Well, he had a real run of bad luck. He is. He was a very wealthy guy. He um, he lost his girlfriend. His son was kidnapped and killed. And his uh, and uh, the fifty thousand that he put into the movie uh, would have been worth probably well for every five thousand was worth forty or fifty thousand. Huh. Well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was forty to one on their money. What would he have made? Forty times fifty thousand. That's what he would have made on the movie. Hmm. He pulled his fifty thousand out. I bet he kicked himself after that. <laughs> yes. Well, he was he was a jackass. To him, it was just a big party. Yeah. Go up on location and just party and have dinners and be 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 big shot. Yeah. I was up scouting locations. Right. He wanted to have dinner. Jeez. I said I couldn't get back there, and he got pissed off and said adios. Took his money and that's it. Now you also did uh, "Ode to Billy Joe," which became quite a. Big I did that because Bobby Gentry actually was a friend of Rogers, my partner, and she used to sing in the street in Westwood with her guitar. Hmm. And uh, Roger knew her from there, and then when she became a success, Roger kept in contact with her, and then she came in and she wrote the actual end of the, the theme song at the end of the movie, "Making County Line." Another time, another place. And then at that time, she asked Roger, why didn't we do Ode to Billy Joe? And so Roger asked me, and I said, well, I'm not talented enough to write that. And so we did a picture called The McCulloughs, which was a knockoff on The Quiet Man, kind of. And and I directed that. And then then, uh, one day I was watching... Uh, television ready to go out and I saw Summer of 42 written by Herman Rauscher and I said now called Roger and I said if we can get that guy to write this story because oh, Billy Joe was a love story I said if we can get that guy to write it I, I said that would be great and he said well get, go take a shot at him so I sent, called him up sent him the sent him the record he called me back and we talked didn't want to do it at first came out Talked to 
Bobby Gentry gave him gave her some ideas how he was prepared to write the screenplay, and we all agreed. He went back and did it, and we wrote he wrote the screenplay, and we shot it. And that was it. Jeez. Well, we were the first ones to take an old song title and turn it into a motion picture. Though. Yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, most all most all other pictures were written uh, basically. The, the 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 song was written for the picture, like blue, like uh, White Christmas. Yep. yep. Irving Berlin wrote White Christmas for the for the play for the play or the movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was in other words, it was contemporaneously released and as part of that whole program. Um, it, it was not an old song that somebody took and put right. into a 10 or 20 year later movie as the name of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was doing that. Now they've done and that, I did it. Then they did Harper Valley PTA. Then I'd lights went out in Georgia. Girls want to have fun. Yeah. Pretty woman, Karina, Karina, odd infinitum. They did over a hundred movies with song titles as their base Yeah. between television and theatrical. Right. Yeah. Much the first. Yep. See, those are things that people don't realize because, like you say, you were on the Beverly Hillbillies. So well, that and also the fact that I was born Max Baer Jr., but I'm going to die Jethro Bodine. Right. That's just the way it is. So <laughs> in 1991, I licensed the rights for the Beverly Hillbillies for hotels, casinos, food products, restaurants, consumables, uh, cosmetics, and everything. And uh, uh, we have uh, slot machines out there, Beverly Hillbilly slot machines out there now. We've had them out there. Well, we start first ones came went out in uh, 2001, and they played for six, seven years, and now we've got them out again, mm-hmm. the different ones. Yeah, and they're out all over the United States. And then we've got we had a um, what else we're we doing? Well, now we're doing we're just in the process of doing an online game, uh-huh. slot machine game, you know, yeah. for online, but it's no money involved, it's just a game. Right. Uh, and um, then um, we're looking into some restaurants, uh, and that's it. Themed restaurants. So I keep or? I keep I keep busy all the time, and as busy as I want to be anyway. Yeah. Are you Are you looking at, at themed my restaurants? Age. Yeah, it would be a it would be a Beverly Hillbilly theme. That would be Jethro's. Perfect. It would be Jethro's Beverly Hillbillies. Whatever. It'd be something like that. Yeah, that would be. Great. And uh, that's what we're going to take. We're going to take a shot at that probably. And uh, get involved somewhere like that. Yeah. And then, um, what else is there? And then the only other thing I really would be interested in doing is I'd be interested in having somebody do my dad's life story. And that's it. Because my dad's life story was really would really be exciting. I'm sure. My dad's life story is, is more exciting than any fight story that I've ever seen. I mean, about what kind of... He was a character. He was just a complete character. It was there. There has never. I've known a lot of the characters, a lot of the fighters, whether it be Tyson or Joe Lewis or Muhammad Ali or Sonny Liston or any of these guys. Mm-hmm. My dad's had probably the the wildest time of any of any fighter. I mean, he just went from slopping hogs as a kid and slopping hogs that he can't do anymore because it's against the uh, Food and Drug Administration, but. What happened is that there was recycling and poor man's recycling. Yeah. And the, the the ranchers would go and pick up the garbage at the restaurants and at the and at the grocery stores, and bring it out and throw it out to their hogs, and then just the, with the hogs rooted through it, ate what they wanted, and then he'd plow the rest of it under for mulch. Mm-hmm. 
and the hogs would eat what what they wanted, and they they got they ate for free, and then he also fertilized his ground. Right. So it was it was basically recycling poor man's, but you can't do it now because of environmental. I mean, not environmental, but uh, Food and Drug Administration protections and things like that. Right. And my dad was getting twenty five cents a day uh, for working in those days, which was like in the uh, late let's see, in the mid twenties, late twenties, when the depression hit, like twenty nine. Yep. And so then he. Uh, uh, his first fight, he got, I think, $35. They paid him in $1 bills. He thought he could retire. <laughs> I mean, that was a whole year's salary. Well, sure. working yeah, at the, the, yeah. So with him, he just found out that he could punch, and he could he could hit hard, and he had good endurance. And he didn't smoke then, and, and so he, he ended up being a fighter, and that's why he said, just like I said, I said, why do you go there for the money and the fame, you know? Yeah. When they when it's they fun. did Cinderella Man, they sort of touched a little bit on your father. Uh, what do you think? No, they 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 made my. I, I told Ron Howard. Or I, I I didn't tell him personally, but I told everybody that interviewed me, from Bob Koch to on down. I said they treated uh, my father like Clubber Lang in Rocky Three, yeah. instead of like Apollo Creed. Uh-huh. They should have treated him like Apollo Creed. He's an opponent. He's a good opponent, but. Clubber Lang had no redeeming qualifications at all. Mm-hmm. None. Yeah. He was just an animal, an ass. You know, he was terrible. Yeah. yeah. And that's the way that Ron Howard made my father terrible. So the reason why I was upset is, first of all, I didn't understand, but that dead people have no rights at all, legally. Yeah. They do not have a right. Neither were good. You could say Abraham Lincoln was gay, or he did horses, or dogs, or ducks, yeah. or he was a pervert, yeah. and you you can't be sued for that huh. because the, he has no rights. His heirs have no rights. Wow. No, you don't. Yeah, I didn't realize. You just that. don't have any right. Yeah. And the problem is, is that the people that grew up at the same time that he was around, well, knew what kind of a person he was. But if you go. 50 years later and you put a movie out there and it's a successful movie and you portray a person that is a pretty good guy and you portray him as the worst son of a bitch in the world all the people that see that movie that are young and didn't know the past person are going to say well that's what that guy was Yeah. and you're his son well you've got to be an ass too you see yeah that's the whole point, and so there's a there's a liberal uh, an attorney called Jonathan Turley, but he's a really wonderful guy. Not that not that liberals are bad in the first place, but I'm a conservative, so I told Jonathan I said, well, when we talked, because he was writing an article about rights, about dead people having no rights and they should have them, or their heirs should have them. Yeah, yeah. there should be some kind of a rule that you can't take and lie about somebody right, knowingly yeah. but there isn't there's no protection for that but anyway um he was talking that he was writing this uh, this uh, some kind of an article for one of the law magazines or a magazine that he was hired by and uh, he, he said that there should be a there should be a, a law to protect the the uh, dead people there should be a law yeah, yeah. and so well you know 
Um, there isn't, and uh, you can't protect, you know, you can't be protected, and so therefore uh, you reap the uh, the whirlwind uh, by people that see what your father was like. Like if your father's Al Capone, well, and your name is Capone, well, you're going to not have the best uh, PR in the world. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. You know that's that's exactly it. Or if you're Jeffrey Dahmer's brother, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you should make the film. You should make the film, Max. Well, you you know you said you should make the film. Well, you know, films are not like writing a script. Right, or they're yeah. not like <laughs> they're not like scratching on the back of a newspaper. You know, they cost an awful lot of money today. Right. Yeah. And um, but I mean, like you say, it's it and they like only it. do and they do then they want to do major pictures. They want to do pictures unless you get major stars. You're never going to get into the theater. Right. Even if you get major stars, you may not get into the theater. Look at Matt Damon is a star. Michael Douglas is a star, and they did Liberace as a television movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't come across. It didn't go to the theaters. So, you know, today it's almost got to be spectacular movie or it doesn't get into the theaters. Intimate movies don't get into theaters much anymore. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, unless like Clint Eastwood does because of his name. They will go to see Clint as something, you know. And uh, and he did his his monster movie back in 92, which was uh, Unforgiven, which was was a great movie. Great one, you know goes down as one of the great westerns and um and then he did a fight movie million dollar baby if he hadn't done that i'd have gone to clint and i'd have said asked him about that but he wants to do a variety of things and that's why you know he went from to grand torino and then you know trouble with a curve and uh mad bridges of madison county so he does a variety of things you know in that and that's what's good it's like he doesn't just go to the mexican every night or or the steakhouse every night. True. He, yep. he tries a little bit of everything. He wants to, he wants to experience a lot of things, you know. And if he can afford to do it, and the studios will give him the money, he'll go and he'll do over many different things. Right. You know, if something just strikes his fancy, he'll go do it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he'll get it made. Oh yeah. That's you know, sure. I mean, and 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 then there's very few people that can do that. That's for sure. Yeah. They won't let Spielberg do that. Hmm. They won't let Lucas do that. Yeah. You know they, they, you know they'll say, "Hey, you want to make a movie about the two thousand years from now?" They'll give George Lucas or Spielberg, and they'll let him use his imagination and go come up with something, or or or, or Cameron or one of these guys. Yeah. They'll they'll let them do it. Yeah. But they're, what they're doing is they're protecting failure. They want to lay off failure on somebody else. Right. Yeah. They don't want it to be you. If you if you if you okay a movie to go ahead. And it has no, and it has no major stars. And it flops. You're looking for a new job, right? If you if you if you if you put uh, if you put all these superstars in a movie and it dies, well, you got your job. Mm-hmm. Blame them. Yeah, yeah. Blame well, Spielberg. Blame these other people. They, everybody's looking for an out. Right. Yeah. Nobody's willing to take responsibility. And I think that uh, President Obama saw too many of those movies. <laughs> He knows. He knows that uh, you know. If you can lay off the failure, you, you'll be better off. You know, it's like well, I was looking at the TV the other day. It was about it was about uh, Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. I don't see nothing. I don't say nothing. I don't hear nothing. I'm not even here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Max, I'd like to finish up with with two final questions. Sure. 
more on a personal note? Sure. As, as far as when you sit back and relax, what do you like to watch for TV shows? TV I don't like. I don't watch. But I, I'll tell you what I really watch. It's really funny because I like the area. I watch David Caruso and CSI Miami. Miami, yeah. I, I, I watch CSI Miami. I when that comes on, I like I like Law and Order. Mm-hmm. I like Law and Order, and I love and I love Jerry Orbach, who I knew and used to play golf with. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry Orbach before he passed away, who terrific guy. Yeah. Great guy, um, and I like those two shows. Um, I watch the Military Channel, I watch Discovery Channel, I watch Fox News uh, regularly, and um, I watch uh, Bill O'Reilly and Hannity and Greta, and and then I go over and I'll, I watch them first. Then I'll go over and see what how NBC, MSNBC is treating it, how CNN is treating it, because they rerun the things, you know. Yeah. Yep. So if I don't catch them the first time around, I catch them the second time yep. around. But I, that, and I, and I, I love the news. I watch Animal Planet, and I watch biographies. Yeah. I don't watch many uh, television shows, per se, yep. other than, like I said, Law & Order and CSI Miami. I like those. Those are regular shows that I watch. They're on, and I'll watch the reruns and everything. You know, late at night, I watch them from like ten to two in the morning or something like yeah. that. I'll do that, or in the afternoon, or when they have a marathon, mm-hmm. I'll watch those. Those are ones that interest me. And then some. And then when there's movies on. Well, that's my other question. Uh, What's your favorite movies? Well, I, I, I love Million Dollar Baby. Yeah, I like all. The, I like all the Clint stuff. I like. I like Mystic River. I I just think I think it was a true. I think Mystic River. I Grand Torino. I just think that Clint has a great eye for uh, for film, for stories that um, they, they appeal to him, and uh, I guess he treats himself and feels that he's like the average guy, and if it appeals to him and he enjoys it, if uh, he's in a position, if it doesn't make a lot of money, well, that's okay. Uh, he'll do another one, and it'll make a lot of money. Right. Uh, most people can't afford to do that. Right. But, but I feel that I have the, the same kind of, I guess, taste as Clint because I like all of his pictures. Yeah, I like. I mean, do. I just like all of his pictures. They just, they're, they just, uh, they're just good pictures. Yeah. yeah. I just enjoy them. Yeah. That's all. I liked all the Dirty Harry pictures. I like. Oh, yeah. I like this. I like this character, Harry Callahan. I've seen all of those. I've seen them many times, and. Uh, I, 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 you know, I like play Misty for me. I like, I like the one breezy that he did with Gay Lins and Bill Holden that he directed up in Laurel Canyon, a little love story. Mm-hmm. Um, that was early in his career too. I like, I just like them. I just like the, the ones that he did with Siegel, Hang 'Em High, and and uh, you know, just, just, I just like, I just like Clint's movies. Yeah. I mean, like I like John Wayne movies. I like that was the same thing. Yeah. I just happen to like those type of movies. Well, Mance, I, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. It's been it's hey, been you're very you're very welcome. I you know I'm, I'm I don't know if you know this, but I'm listed in the Guinness Book of Records for what? As the only living son of a bitch to interrupt himself. <laughs> um, with me, if you take a breath, you lose your turn. <laughs> so I have never had a problem talking. That's one of my problems, I guess. You know. Well, no, hey, um, I, I have I have. No, but I have uh, I have foot and mouth disease. I, I, it's a strange thing. I've 
I eat Nikes. Uh, I'm not too good on Spalding shoes, but Nikes I eat. Floor shimes I gave up. I gave up eating floor shimes about 40 years ago. Too much leather. But, uh, yeah, right, floor shimes shoes. I, I, you know, Gucci's a little bit. I take Gucci's on the weekends. I'll eat them. You know, but, I mean, I'm. it's really, you know, it's just the way it is with me. Well, I, I, you get me a talk. If you get me on something that I like, I can talk forever on it. Yeah. If you get me on something that I don't like, it's about eight seconds. Yeah. You know. Well, it, it's it's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate that you that you. Well, you're very you're very welcome, and I hope your listeners and hope your listeners enjoyed it from a from an old turkey. <laughs> uh, you know, now I got to go change and go 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 to the gym. All right. I have to have to go do that. All right. Anyway, look at um, look at Brian. It uh, was uh, nice talking with you. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a terrific day. And I hope your listeners like the interview. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. God bless. Max Baer Jr., I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. It's just so much fun to hear him. I, I, I just loved him on the Beverly Hillbillies back, you know, in the 60s and in reruns and everything else. And uh, it's just such a thrill to have him here on the show. I appreciate it that he took so much time. And I do have to apologize. We just got in a brand new connection here for our phone lines and uh, actually ju- I, it was just finished just before I got on the air with Max and I haven't had a time to tune the the dials here so I can figure out what's going on as far as the sound and uh, Max turned out great but uh, unfortunately I didn't sound so good you could hardly hear me uh, so I apologize for that but hopefully in the coming weeks uh, you know everything will be fine again I will turn around and uh, make adjustments before but like I say this happened I got the interview and it was like you know we had to jump right on it in order to uh, get it and uh, I just wasn't prepared for it so uh, but anyways I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond if you have a favorite guest that you would like to hear a favorite person send it to me and I will see if I can get that person here on On Screen and Beyond you can Send it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I will see what I can do about getting that person on the show. And you never know. There's just so many people, and uh, we will try to get that person on for you. we got another guest that is uh, going to be an incredible guest coming up next week right here on On Screen and Beyond, so I hope you're going to join me. Tell a friend. That's how we keep getting the word out, and uh, we just get more and more guests coming our way. And, uh, in fact, uh Next month, we're going to have the Motor City Madman coming our way, believe it or not. That's right. He's going to be here. Ted Nugent's coming our way. So uh, just just more and more guests coming our way. But next week, it's uh, not Ted. It's going to be somebody else. And um, we'll have a good time, I'm sure. So uh, hope you'll join me here at On Screen and Beyond. Uh, be sure to check out onscreenandbeyond.com. If you're on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. If you're on Facebook, Be sure to be a friend with us. We'd love to have you there, and we'll keep you informed on what's going on. And uh, let's see. That's about it. Uh, we got uh, got to get going here. It's a wrap for this week. Until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.